So we find, I think a lot of Husker fans, uh, volleyball fans, woke up uh, to the news Friday morning, uh, yesterday morning, that uh, Kayla Caffey did indeed uh, enter the transfer portal. So we were all waiting and trying to determine if she was going to get her seventh year of uh, eligibility approved, uh, a waiver from the NCAA. And next thing you know, she's said she's in the portal. So you start getting uh, information or statement from the university, uh, Coach Cook. Then you get state. Then yesterday evening um, starts to you start to get a little bit more information on the other side of it. So uh, crazy part is May seventh was when the N- uh, NCAA actually approved the waiver. So that ha- that was known. Her status to the for the team and her eligibility to play was known. Um, and now we find out that there wasn't a scholarship available. So I kind of wonder, and um, we don't know for sure yet, if she was waiting, if she was hesitating and hadn't determined if she wanted to come back and play, which kind of sounded even like that uh, late spring and into the early summer. And then uh, she says on a, on a post that they're just they told her a couple weeks ago that there wasn't a scholarship available. And so she wants to play that seventh year, but she's she's graduated. She has a uh, master's degree all in education. So right now, um, still in the transfer portal, she she's really with three options. She can play for another school if there's an opportunity. She could try to seek a professional contract, most likely uh, overseas, or um, just kind of try to go into the professional uh, employment market. So it, it's interesting because there's lots of takes from from fans. Um, really divided on kind of what Cook did to create this situation. Is it on him um, or is it was it Kayla's decision? So um, where do you guys sit with taking that scholarship away in late July, as it sounds? Ooh, I that's tough, right? Like, I, I'm going to start by saying I don't think Coach Cook ever does anything with malicious intent or anything like that. Um, but it's a numbers game and we've talked about this going back to the football team as well. Uh, sometimes there's just, you have to fill a need and you can't wait to see if things are going to shake out in your favor and you, you have to go and make it happen. And sometimes that does turn around and backfire on you. And I think that's probably more of what happened here was they did some recruiting out to some people just in case. And then it sounds like you said, Kayla was possibly thinking about sitting out even if it was approved. So they just went and made a move, and and uh, the numbers didn't work out in her favor, unfortunately. Yeah, that's kind of where I sit on everything, is it seems like it was a deal where it was over-recruited or an over-recruitment. And, you know, if the spot's there, you're, you're going to fill it with someone that you know can be there if, as opposed to someone that may or may not be there. Um, another big story in, in Nebraska, uh, Buda Wright returned to practice. Um, and so far, he's been showing out. Uh, Travis Fisher mentioned, you know, he's looking good out there. Um, even got an interception. So that for me, that that's huge that Buddha Wright was even able to step back on the field with the blood clot issue. It's phenomenal. I, I was saying during all off season, if he was there the entire time, I thought that was the starter at the uh, position that JoJo played. I thought he was going to fill that role pretty well. But, you know, do you think with Buda Wright jumping in this late in the offseason, he's going to have a big impact this year? I I think he's still going to have an impact somewhere. I don't know where it is. Um, 
one thing's for certain that guy brings energy so his his impact may only be from the sideline i don't think it is i think he works his way onto the field he has too much talent to to just sit over there um the other good thing for buddha is they're not there's not a lot of turnover on that defensive side of the ball so it's not like he has to prove prove what he can and cannot do to to his position coach and that staff because they've all already been there so I, I think Buddha finds his way on the field at some point this year and makes a statement. And it's not like he's coming in out of shape. I mean, he's the entire time leading up to last season was working and getting prepared, and then um, it, the the blood clot derails him. And then off season again, working, working, working. I'll tell you what, I saw the clip just this morning of, of the pick, and it was um, – Odell Beckham-esque in terms of one-handed, just went up and got it. But the thing that I couldn't get past, and I watched it a couple times, was just how big he is. I didn't realize he was that tall. Uh, and, I mean, we're not talking Drake tall, but he he just looked like he was towering over the receiver that he was covering, got his hips turned, got in a position, just made a, a hell of an athletic play on the ball. And if that's something that he can do on on what day two or three, and he's he's ready and he's starting to pick stuff up, we all know that he can hit. That was coming in, uh, you know, and his his dad has talked about that too. Just that he is, doesn't shy away from contact, and it just it stands out. So obviously we're we're hoping for the best for him individually. Um, that the Husker legacy, there's a there's a, a lot of pride that comes with that for him. And you know whether it's special teams or you know five plays a game, he wants to be out there. And I hope for him and, and the team, it, he is. Yeah, athletically, I mean, it, that's a kid that's got so much untapped potential that I think he's six three, six four, and I know his measurables were like two twenty, which a six four two twenty safety slash linebacker like him flying around like a heat seat and miss, uh, miss on that defense would be phenomenal. So, I'm, you know, I'm really hoping to see him quite a bit out there. What – oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I, so I hopped in a uh, a space on Twitter last night for the first time. Shout out to Husker Logan on Twitter for putting that together. Um, and I kind of asked this question in there to, to some of the fans, and I want to ask you guys. It seems like we're trying to create not a quarterback contra- controversy, but some sort of a quarterback battle. Um where do you guys sit on that? How legit is that quarterback battle? Well, I kind of had I had a couple things connected to this when we uh, when we get into these big fall camp storylines. So I'm going to hold off some of that. Um, I think it's it's something that we want to see as fans uh, because that tells us that there's that there's more depth. Um, but I'm going to hold that there, and I'm going to I want to come back to this because I've got a little bit more of an expanded thought on it uh, regarding quarterbacks. What's the last true quarterback battle you remember? Um, I don't know, Gans and Keller. That's that's what I went with. Yeah, it's it's been a while since there was a legit one where you could say, well, I could see both guys winning it. And Maybe Lee and Martinez at y- one point. Yeah, yeah. I Adrian or Taylor. Taylor, exactly. <laughs> I honestly I I feel like I've already said who I thought was going to be the starter and I I do feel like Chuba beats out Thompson as as camp goes Chubba. on cuz I think Chuba's you know um Whipple's guy not that that means anything at all 
but I think he fits what Whipple wants to do a little bit more than Thompson does. Yeah, I I could see that. I just I I'm I've been very vocal about this. I think Casey's the guy trotting out week zero. Um, I think it's his job to lose. I can't wait till I'm right and you're wrong. Uh, we'll see what happens. So are we going to put put a bet on that or no? Yeah, we'll talk about it. <laughs> tweet tweet at us. Let us know what you want the bet to be. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, one last story that I just want to touch real quick. What do you guys think about uh, Kyler Murray's homework clause or lack of there now? Can we talk about how ridiculous it is that the fact that there was a homework clause got released to the public? How how as a lawyer do you let that get into the contract? I I guess I mean maybe as Kyler's agent you want that known so then you can shame the Cardinals into taking it out. I I don't know. It's wild to me that it made it in there. I mean, how many years did it was I think it was uh Leftwich. It took several years for us to find out that the Raiders gave him blank game film to go study and he said he studied it no that was uh russell jamarcus russell jamarcus russell yeah said said he studied the game film and they it were was all blank. blank tapes yeah it's yeah it's um this is one of the more incredible things i've ever heard the jamarcus russell thing but i uh kyler murray seems like he's doing pretty well out there you know i don't think the late season slips are because of murray necessarily i think it's more of a kingsbury thing but you know, Fitz, what, what what are your thoughts on the old homework clause? It seems like something that uh, uh, it seems like you don't trust your franchise quarterback very much. Well, we we talked about it last week, and we we looked at it. Did he deserve that contract based on the the football part of it? And now we you know it comes back comes out you know Monday Tuesday that he has this he has to watch spend what four hours watching film. Um, I think it's minimum and of four minimum hours a week or the contract defaults. I can't I, – I'm just – my mind is blown. I cannot figure out how, as a professional athlete, that you're not anyway because he wants to – everything is connected to his play on the field and he's going to – can he get another contract? Can he get another contract and that renegotiate and keep getting money and that comes from wins? And for him not to do that – and so you you never you never quite know what the rationale was. I said it last week though. Their their GM has done some crazy things, and to put that in there just marks as crazy. And then you have Lincoln Riley who speaks out and says, you know what? He's he starts it off and he teases you because he says, I was worried. I was worried about it. I was worried about it. That he was going to get burned out. So he was. He said he was a film nut back then. Um, looking at it. You know, baseball, football—it's that's his that's his motor. He just loves sports, loves to play, compete. Why wouldn't he be in there? I don't know. I I'm questioning the um, why again. Why it's in there? I, he has to watch film. He's got I, I don't know. It's crazy. I almost it's, feel like it was just put in the contract to make sure it's like, hey, I got to make sure that you're reading this contract. So we're gonna put this in here, and and hey, if you catch it, great. I know you read the contract. If not, well, sorry, there may be some more other stuff in there as well. Yeah, it's just again, it's wild to me that it got publicized. Um and it's to me it's even weirder that it's put in there and that contract isn't even guaranteed. Yeah. Like you cut him and it's gone, right? Like who cares? Why I I'm so confused. 
Can I just bring up real quick before we go to break uh, how amazing Aaron Rodgers' outfit was going to training camp this week? Con Air. Yeah, I was going to say it looked like Nick Cage Immediate, Immediately, that's the first thing I thought I of. I know you want us to say it looked like you, but it didn't. No, I do really want to recreate that photo, though, or that little walk-up that he does. I want to try and do it. My hair's not as beautiful as his is, but that was the best walk-up I've ever seen. I think, I think you have lovely hair. I think it's way better than his. Thank you so much. I really can appreciate you, that. Can you throw the football... I'm gonna be I'm gonna be reasonable here. Can you throw the football 12 yards? I'm just gonna tell you if Coach would have put me in, we'd have won state. Throw a football over there. That mountain. okay, okay, over okay, Al, okay, Al Bundy, Polkai. <laughs> All right, we're I think gonna it's take Uncle Rico. <laughs> it is Uncle Rico. Jeez, Fitz. We're gonna take a quick break here. When we return, we will return with the big scripture here on 1620 in the Zone. You're listening to Church of the Corn on 1620 the Zone. Welcome back to the Church of the Corn, brought to you by FCC Trucking on 1620 The Zone. Gather around. Let's dig into some teams on the big scripture here. First team we're going to start off with a lot of people's national title uh, contender or Cornhuskers? No, we're going to wait on them. Okay. You said national title contender. I I know. I should have been a lot more clear because I didn't want to confuse anyone. The Ohio State Buckeyes. Oh. Yeah. You know that. They're okay. Yeah, you know, they're not bad. They're they're pretty consistent on what they do, which is pretty good, I believe. Um, defensively, that has been the, the sore spot for them. Uh, I know they had the former Tennessee Titans DB coach, Kerry Combs, was the defense coordinator there. Got rid of him for Jim Knowles, who runs that four two five that peso defense that Bo used to run. Um, number one, do you think they got the pieces in place to run that defense? And two, do they have the linebackers to make that defense work? That was going to be my first. My first thought was before he even said the linebackers. I think they they do. Um, they've got a they've got a deep group of linebackers. I wouldn't say as talented as they've had in the past, where there's uh, you know one or two guys that you know are going to be you know first two rounds of of the draft the next year. Um, but they're talented. They're they're fast. Uh, you know, the, those Ohio, Pennsylvania linebackers that they get in, um, know the game, read the game, and, and can hit. The question is, you, ta- you mentioned and you brought it up, Bo Pelini and that peso-style defense coming in now. And my mind goes back to when Nebraska went into the Big Ten and they had to shift away from that because of the style of play, uh, size of... Uh, the other offenses, the running game, stuff like that. So now I'm going back and questioning, is this going to work for Ohio State? They they struggled last year. They gave up 1,500 yards the first three games, settled down a little bit, um, and then, again, gave uh, the last three games of the season, gave up another 1,000. Um, so it was kind of that same mindset of that bend, bend don't break, and what their offense did enough. So, again, I don't know. The – Let's talk about the linebackers. Now do they have – throw this to Drake and see what he thinks. What about behind that? Do they have the, the safeties to kind of support that style and, and make those tackles? Well, I'm, I'm going to kind of build off of what you were saying about the linebackers. Um, I want to start by saying let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves and compare the talent that Nebraska had when they entered the Big Ten comparative to Ohio State today. Um, 
I think if Jojo Doman had played the peso role under Bo, he, that that defense would have been fine. Um, so I I definitely think they have the linebackers to do it. I think their defense is going to be much improved this year, uh, and I definitely think on the back end they have the talent. They they just constantly reload that DB room, um, to the point that you know we have a a five star who transferred here from Ohio State because he wasn't going to see the field. So I I absolutely think that they have enough talent in that back end to to compete in this conference. Uh, I I'm really curious to see who steps up on the offensive side of the ball opposite of um, Smith and Jigba, just because you know last year they had two elite wide receivers. You know they're going to have two elite this year. I just don't know who that new guy is going to be stepping up. Yeah, um, defensively, I. I... I feel like they're going to be better this year. It's it's hard to be worse. Um, and, and the reason I say that is because I think that JT Tuamalu, uh, the freshman phenom that's a defensive end, who's going to be Larry Johnson's next first rounder when he gets to come out. And then you've also got on the, uh, I believe he's a freshman All-American, that Danzel Burke as well. Absolute stud at corner. Another first round pick on that defense. So defensively, I think they're going to be fine. The craziest thing was their best linebacker last year in preseason camp was a running back. I believe it was uh, Steel Chamber who transferred from the running back room to the linebacker room. Started with maybe like two weeks of practice against Minnesota, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, he played his backside off. He showed up and put up quite a few tackles. Um, speaking of defensive line, Larry Johnson Sr., I think best D-line coach in the country. He is 70. How much longer can this guy do this? Drake, well, do you, I mean, can't have that many more years in him, can he? I, ooh. Thanks to uh, modern medicine, yeah, he could. Uh, does uh. he have more first-round picks in the next five years, or does he coach five years? I mean, I feel like he could have more first-round picks than that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> oof. I, I think he's going to have, if he makes it five years, he's going to have more than five first-round picks, that's for sure. Uh, it's the most insane thing I've ever seen. Seventies, the new fifty. Yeah, give him, give him, give him a break here. I mean, is that what you're telling? Is that because fits? you're fifty? <laughs> is fifty the new thirty? Is that what you're trying to tell us? Maybe. <laughs> um, Conrad, can you mute this guy for us? <laughs> <laughs> oh, beautiful, beautiful. Go ahead, Fitz. We'll let you talk now. Go ahead. Even if. Physically, things like that. His his mental acumen. We we can we can all say it. He knows more about playing defense in that D line than, um, you know, and he'll forget more this morning than we'll ever know about it. He's there are, you know, quality control coaches. There's GAs. There's there's enough people to do the grind for him. But if he gets his style, he imprints his physicality, what he wants these guys to do, and can still teach technique, but. You know, forget the modern medicine. Just look at modern technology. The ability to go to film instantaneously, to pull something off and 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 record it, and then 20 seconds later rewatch. It. You know, doing those sorts of things creates a longer uh, uh, timeline for a lot of a lot of people now in terms of coaching. And I, I think I would I would take that. I I would imagine if the defense is good this year and things work with the the new. Uh, coordinator from Ohio or from Oklahoma State that 
he'll get as much run as as he physically can and, and until he wants to hang it up. Yeah, I don't I don't see Ryan Day removing him. I oh, don't not I don't see how you can. Uh and it's weird, you know, this is the second or third coach we've talked about from another school that's not a head coach. Um and we're we're all kind of in agreement. They're there as long as they want to be. Uh you got your defensive coordinator at Iowa. Uh you know, I'm I'm gonna miss some of these guys. You pretty much the whole defensive staff at Nebraska is there as long as they want to be, right? Yeah, they 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 don't have to worry about uh, losing a job anytime soon. But real quick on the offensive side of the ball, I think it's going to be one of the top in the country. Do you guys feel that with losing Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave both in the first round, that Marvin Harrison Jr., who was a uh, Nebraska target in recruiting a few years ago, and Julian Fleming, do you think with Stroud at the helm that those two guys can fill in the production lost? It's tough. Now, are you leaving – Jigba out on his own. No, I'm, you know just he's the he, other two. These two to replace. Yeah, pretty much two, two to yeah. two because Smith and Jigba is just an absolute phenom. Uh, they're he, when he goes, you can't replace his production. But let's just say, can can that core be as productive as last year with two new starters? It's those two are good. I mean, like real good. They're gonna be productive both as rookies in the NFL this year, and just that. Thinking about replacing and matching that, it, it, I, I just don't know if it can be done with those two guys. I just don't. That's a lot, and it's it's not necessarily, but it's partly what they did on the field, their presence and, and things like that. Um, so if they don't, it's going to start to impact Najigba a little bit, but I don't know. Can and they do I it? Mean, I my my answer is no, they can't do it. And it's not because they're not great players, and you know I think they're going to be in the league too. But it's always hard to replace two first-rounders right away, especially at a skill position. I mean, even Alabama at times, it takes them half a season to replace a guy before they find out what the real fit is. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this Ohio State team leans a little bit more run-heavy than they have in the past as well. Uh, Travion Henderson's a great running back. And I think sometimes, I think Ryan Day has said said as much, kind of cryptically, but... Um, in the fact that he thinks part of the defensive struggles over the year has been their ball control and not not keeping the defense off the field a little bit. Perfect. Love it, boys. Well, we're going to go to a quick break here. When we return, we've got part two of the big scriptures with Rutgers here on 1620 The Zone. It's Church of the Corn with Zach, Alex, and Fitz on 1620 The Zone. Welcome back to the Church of the Corn on 1620 The Zone, brought to you by FCC Trucking. We've got part two of the big scripture here. We're going to talk about r- the fighting Rutgers of New Jersey, I think. Piscataway, to be exact. Um, if you have anything... college football, I will have remind you. Yep. Put some respect on that name. I will not. Uh, I never do, so I won't start today. Uh, give us a call if you want to join in the conversation, 402-951-1620 as well. Uh, let's start on the offensive side of the ball because we've got a guy over there that we're pretty familiar with in Noah Vedral. Um, I thought he was more productive last year than he was. I didn't realize he put up 1,800 yards, seven touchdowns, seven interceptions. Um, do you think that they can clean that up, or is he kind of what he is at this point? Is he going to be the starter? I'm going to pencil him in for it. They've yeah. got a, a four-star that's coming in, uh, came in 
uh, kind of a surprise graduation in the fall and ended up coming onto campus and then got some got a little bit of run and, and made an appearance in the bowl game. Um, I, th I think if there's accuracy issues with Vedral, if uh, it's sporadic like it has been, um, they might they might make to, to, to look at to make a change. But he's got experience. Um, he can run. He's good, you know, improvising. Is that enough to, to keep him on the field? And then bigger than that, is that enough to keep Rutgers getting, making improvements in the win-loss column? Yeah, and I I could be reading into, into this totally wrong, but I've never felt that Shiano is a guy that's going to, at at some of the most important positions on the field, put somebody in because they're a little bit more talented over somebody who fully grasps what they're trying to do. Uh, Shiano just strikes me as one of those guys. That's a method that I don't always agree with. Uh, sometimes I think it's a little bit more important at quarterback, especially for a team that uh, isn't loaded with talent and, and struggles. You need you need that um, kind of steady hand to guide the ship. So, yeah, I think Vedral is the starter. Um, I'm not as concerned about the turnovers as most people would be. I think his turnovers were at times a product of the environment because he did have a couple of really good games last year. Uh, but when you're always playing from behind, like Rutgers tends to do, you're going to be forced into some turnover situations. Uh, so it's going to depend how, how well they can run the ball, get Crookshanks involved here and there on offense. Uh, but yeah, I think Vedral's the guy and I think they'd take another step forward. Nothing crazy, but, but another small step forward. That is a, legitimate quarterback battle that I think can be followed over the next five to six weeks. And I would say that Wimsat ends up being the starter. I'm going to take the, the sophomore to come in. Now he's a red shirt. He only put, well, he had his bowl game. Does the bowl game count against your it counts eligibility? In your four. Cause that means he played, he played four in the fall and then played the bowl game. So he's a true sophomore. Um, I bet he's the starter. I bet he's the starter. So that's just my my take of it. Uh, we'll we'll bet a penny on it. Um, okay. So we're not taxed yeah. if that works for you. Yeah, I'm and cool with that. Done. What are my odds? Uh, fifty fifty. Because okay. there's two people. Yeah, but you got to set odds when you bet sports. That's not. It's never fifty fifty. You did listen to his picks last time he was on here. I'm not sure he knows how betting works. Yeah. If if I hear another cricket bet today. I'm going to punch you in the shoulder. I'm going to go back to Rutgers <laughs> real quick before you punch Fitz. Um, they've got five transfers. Five transfers that have not played a snap of football. Ever? For Rutgers. Uh, so you don't know how they're going to mesh. Um, I guess from what I've gathered around here in Nebraska, that's a big thing, uh, that you don't know how they're going to mesh and different things like that. Do you think that offense can take that next step forward with five brand new guys in the starting lineup? Well, if I say no, then that's going to reflect poorly on what I think of Nebraska, right? Uh, Not necessarily. I, I don't think I, it's a linear thing. I I definitely think that is something to keep an eye on, but you also don't go get five transfers if you don't have a way to work them into the system. You just don't. Do, it's not like you're not just like grabbing a random piece of lettuce, right? You're not grabbing a random head of lettuce at at the grocery store. You're you are actively recruiting these transfers to fill a very specific need, and you have a way to work them into the offense. 
Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I I don't think in the transfer game now that you can just go out there and grab five guys that have nothing to do with your system and go, well, they're, bo- they're all talented. It should work. That's not how it works. I mean, you've got a recipe for a reason, so I would assume every every coach does right now. Greg Shiano's how- best coaching jobs have been at Rutgers. Like, there's no question about it. Uh, I don't I don't think he's uh, just firing from the hip when he's going out and recruiting. I think he I think he's one of the better coaches at recruiting for what you want and not just getting talent. Well, sixteen of the. 22 starters are going to come from his recruits and or transfer. So it hits on your point exactly. I think the other part, though, that is in favor for Rutgers is that the ability of those five or six starters on offense that are transfers to produce this year isn't as high as in Lincoln, right? Um, He's got some wiggle room. The idea of a, a hot seat for Shiano is nowhere near what it is for uh, Coach Frost and, and Lincoln. So he, I think he, you give him a couple of years with those guys and see where that builds versus now or never mindset here. So which, which can is a big part of how that's going to shake up and the decisions that, that he can make. So And that's kind of going back to kind of bringing it full circle because you've got a new recruit and that quarterback we talked about with that battle. He, can make, he could make that choice and go with the sophomore whim set and it's not a all or nothing situation for him. So that's kind of it gives him a little bit more room to to play and, and and see what he can do. If this team wants to to take another step forward, they have to find a way to get Aaron Crookshanks involved more on offense. And I would imagine that these five transfers they were brought in in a way to maximize his talent as opposed to just maximizing theirs. Yeah, he's he's a very talented kid. I mean, we, unfortunately, Nebraska's been on the other end of that when he was at Wisconsin. Now that he's at Rutgers, that they've seen how talented he can be. He scored, you know, just almost every way possible. I don't know if he's he's thrown a touchdown, but every other way he's he's scored, and he's a very impressive kid. I just they got to get him the ball. They almost got to force feed him the ball um, at a certain point. But do you guys think that they're better than a? Five and eighteen was, which is what I think they finished last year. Are, are they? Can they take that jump to seven and five this year? Six and six. The the first three wins that they had, you go back and, and win number three by a large margin was like Delaware. So just like a lot of schools, you're not playing that that top tier competition early on, and then they struggled for a while, and then then you see they destroyed Indiana. And no disrespect to the disrespect I in know, which you speak. It's, it's crazy. But you do something like that, and I don't know if they were just firing on all cylinders. Indiana was missing half their team, whatever the, the case might be. If they can put more of those games together, they've got a, a, a better chance of, you know, getting over the you know, six win threshold. They got to that bowl game, uh, Texas A&M didn't want to play. They were really just in the laboratory working on their NIL packages and stuff. So Rutgers slips in there and then gets destroyed by Wake Forest, um, who had been destroyed by Pitt. With uh, Anyway, we can't go back and talk about that. So That is linear. We can do that yes, one. That one yes. works. So, um, I don't know. I it, There's too much competition. They're just not where they are. I would – I would say, in my mind, I kind of look at Rutgers and Illinois 
um, with the edge going to Illinois. You can't have too many teams like that. I just don't know if they're going to ever get more than six, seven wins, maybe. If I put a, a floor for them at four and a ceiling of eight, I feel like that's that's pretty fair for them, right? Four to eight? I I would I would probably put the floor at three. Okay. Um, you know that that program, and unfortunately, you can throw Nebraska in here too. We've had some close calls with some of those lesser opponents, McNeese State, um, Northern Illinois. So I I would set definitely set that floor at three. Uh, I don't think they hit their floor. I have too much respect for what Shiano has done at Rutgers previously. I I think they're they're that five and six fringe seven and five team. Yeah, I I think it's it's going to hinge on a couple games on what they do this this season on like you if they're above five hundred if they're below it. So uh, when we return to the Church of the Corn on sixteen twenty, we'll break down some of the biggest storylines for fall camp. Stay tuned, don't miss it. Now back to Church of the Corn on sixteen twenty the zone. Welcome back to the Church of the Corn, brought to you by FCC Trucking on sixteen twenty the zone. Let's talk about. Fall camp. It's the most wonderful time of the year next to when football actually kicks off. Um, let's talk about some of the big storylines. Um, also remember, if you have any thoughts, give us a call 402-951-1620. I'm going to start off with Fitz. You go ahead. What's your, what's one of your, I don't know, your third, fourth storyline? What you got? My number, well, kind of three, four is going to be special teams. And just kind of stated simply, can they be consistent and can they be effective? And effective isn't mental mistakes, you know, trying to throw the ball forward on a on a on a punt return in um, the end zone. when you're getting yeah in the end zone, um, kicking to the wrong side of the field, missing your mark by by thirty yards, um, and extra points here and there because. Just those little things, and we know we know the impact of of special teams as we all saw last year. But I think just the just the consistency of kickoffs, where do they go? How how deep into the end zone are we are we doing that? And then on the reverse side, are we making good decisions? And is everyone in tune to here's when we return? Here's where we're going to just take this ball that's twenty five. Those sorts of things, and then just making making the kicks making the kicks and having the coaches, having the confidence in the kickers, uh, Timmy Bleak Road, for example, to go out there when it's a, a 47-yard kick and it's it's fourth and seven, knowing that he can make that kick instead of trying to make that fourth and seven, get five yards or less, and then turn the ball over in real good field position for their team. So how this how this shakes out, we're not going to know. We're going we're gonna to hear the right things um but i believe with those two guys coming in the punter and the and the kicker for example and what they've brought in or not brought in sorry but what they have now working with special teams potential starters um the athleticism on there i think there there's a a a run for that is it as big a deal to you guys as as i think it is yes and no i i mean i think the biggest key to special teams is the hidden yardage battle uh, I think last year we averaged a hidden yardage loss of like net 130 something yards. 
between return game, bad punts, whatever, however you want to label it. Uh, and that doesn't even account for turnovers on downs. Like, So the hidden yardage battle on special teams is the key. I'm not as worried about making the long field goal or things like that just because I expect the offense to put the ball in the end zone a lot more. But when they need it, can they do it? Yeah, obviously that that's the, the big question. Um, again, for for me, the biggest thing with special teams is the hidden yardage. That that's where our biggest losses have been coming from. And everybody wants to point to missed kicks, and those those kill us too, right? But instead of missing a thirty yard kick, if our offense had been able to start fifteen yards farther up on the field because we didn't catch a punt running backwards or something like that, that that plays another factor into that 30-yard field goal being a 20-yard field goal. I think Fitz just wanted to talk about kickers on the air, and good for you, we got to do it. Um, no, I, I feel like that that's got to be the most improved unit this year. Otherwise, I, I think a lot of things are going to start falling apart. I feel like the special teams is a glue for your team. So yeah, absolutely. That that's where so many games are won and lost. And in as you said, hidden yardage, um, and it's just the plays that nobody else wants to make or can make. That's when you need those guys out there, and that's that's what we need them to do very well. Um, Drake, what's your uh, first one? Uh, I'm gonna go with the wide receiver room, and I think there's a guy in that room that we've all forgotten about. He's a new transfer. Got here late in uh, Marcus Washington from Texas. I mean, he already has a bond with Casey Thompson. Uh, he's a he's a fine, fine player. I don't know that he's elite talent above some of the guys that we already had in that room in the spring, and he missed out on spring ball. I'm curious in, as to how we fit him into the offense uh, and how we find a way to maximize the talent in that room because it is – one of the most talented wide receiver rooms I've ever seen in Nebraska. They just haven't pr- put produced on the field yet. And I think the Mickey Joseph hire changes that. Yeah. Talent wise, you can't argue that they are not, I mean, they have to be the most talented wide receiver room on paper that I've seen at Nebraska. I'm going to agree with you there. Um, Mickey has done it everywhere. He's been, there's a lot of, there's a lot of untapped potential, so it, I think sky's the limit for those guys. It'll it'll be really be interesting who trots out there to start off week one yeah. or week zero, I should say. Fitz, uh, any thoughts on that receiver room? You the look depth, like you got a couple. The depth of the of the room intrigues me. Um, you go Omar Manning, um, Wyatt Lewer, you know Oliver Martin. Those guys, and and the health of some of these guys that we pr- we saw flashes and then they just kind of go away. And I'm going to double down and say with that wide receiver room, if there's vastly improved quarterback play in terms of the mid-range accuracy, things like that, I think we've got guys now that can catch and run more so. And But if it's on target, it's on time. But even even freshmen like Jonner and Bonner, you're seeing pictures and – just he looks like he's been in the program for two or three years under Duvall, and but the the average height of these receivers, the strength, their ability to block on the just all these little things are going to go into play. I think have a have a way now of showcasing their individual talents, and then just take into account what you just talked about with Coach Joseph, when he can take a 
two-star, three-star player at LSU that's maybe getting overlooked because of a not college-ready body, things like that. And, oh, yeah, they turn into potentially one of the best receivers in the NFL, Justin Jefferson, um, Jamar Chase, those types of guys. And he's getting that out of them. Um, the technique, the professionalism, all of that, the sky's the limit. So I'm, the questions are there, but the excitement is, is also there. And I think that's a great, great call by, by Drake. Yeah. Um, one thing I'm interested in, you both have kind of brought up this point. I'm interested in the meshing of the talent that's on roster with what's coming in. Mesh how, is his new favorite word, by the way. Mesh. I just I want to see how quickly they can get on the same page uh, because that's going to be the key to everything this year. If they can't, uh, it could bottom out worse than last year. Um, but I, I feel like with the coaches, I said all offseason that they needed development coaches, development-driven coaches for this roster. That's what's going to fit what you have. Because you've got talent. It's just untapped, and it's it's unpotential talent at this point. So I, I really feel like that's what they needed, and I feel like they, they hired it at every, every spot that there was a vacancy. Um, now they've they've got to hope that this last six months is, is going to pay off. Um, Fitz, what's your uh, second point? Mine is the idea, are we going to be, are the Huskers going to be a run-first or a pass first offense. And it really blew up last week with um, Narduzzi's comments uh, of Whipple's style. We, we, we dive into it and leave it to Husker fans to really break it down and, and get to the nuts and bolts of it. That The break was 49-51, 51-49, and it wasn't that far off. Can they use the passing game? a short intermediate intermediate passing game to open up the run game. Sure. Does that change with no, it's not like we have to just see everything, you know, going on, run, 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 and then pass only when we're trying to get those yards. It's church of the corn with Zach, Alex and Fitz on 1620. The zone. Welcome back to the church of the corn brought to you by FCC trucking. Let's continue with our fall camp. Big stories. All right, I guess uh, it's my turn. I'm up since Fitz took us down to the end of the hour. 402-951-1620. Give us a call. Let us know your thoughts. Uh, We're excited to hear from the fans as well. Uh, My second storyline is the offensive line because that is just a hot topic for the fan base. I'll be honest. I am a lot less worried about this offensive line than I feel like a lot of people are. And a huge part of that is, you know, the three of us were lucky to talk to a lot of players on our podcast. And we talked to Jamari Butler and Ty Robinson last weekend. And Ty came out and said it. He said the first couple of days of spring ball, that offensive line came out and took their lunch money. Uh, totally different vibe in that offensive line room based off of everybody we've been able to talk to. Uh, I think just the mentality change is, is huge for them. And I think that mentality runs to the entire Rayola family. I don't think it's just the Rayola who played here. Uh, I'm excited to see how well they improve. Uh, And kind of going back to Fitz's points uh, about the short intermediate passing game, I think that's going to help out a ton, both in opening up the run, but preventing the defense from pinning their ears back. And I've been very vocal about that for three years, about how we have to make sense some drags and slants. Is there a a spot on that offensive line that if we want to, kind of dig down a little bit 
that's going to be more of a battle and maybe come down to the last couple of weeks leading in and maybe even a, a change or two for the first few games before it's really locked in? Yeah, I, I think there's two two spots, really. I think that, that center position is obviously very interesting. Um, and then left tackle. And left tackle is only interesting to me because I'm worried about uh, Teddy's health coming back from that ACL. Uh, if Teddy Teddy's 100% good to go, I, that's Teddy's job. Uh, so I would say left tackle and center are the two that I'm curious about. Obviously, if Teddy isn't good to go, that changes up. The, the line a little bit you probably move somebody to right tackle who's going to play interior and right tackle over to left tackle so uh it'll be interesting and i think a lot of it rides on teddy's health zach what do you think of that o-line is there is there a spot or two that you are questioning right now uh not questioning so much i would just say your interior because you've got so many guys that can fit different spots um, you know, I shot a, a text or a tweet at DB yesterday or, or Thursday. I can't remember which day it was, but it was about the offensive line room. And essentially it, what I said was, it's not a talent issue so much as it was a technique issue. I, I feel like having a technician who's played in the big 10, such as Raiola can come in and, you know, curtail the development of that offensive line toward what he knows it needs to be. Um, I feel like the scheme has been mismatched with the talent the last couple of years, and that's why we've seen what we've seen on the offensive line as far as lack of development and just kind of mishmash play, if you will, um, that hasn't it hasn't looked right, and there's been a reason why. I just feel like the scheme is mismatched. I feel like we finally got everything fixed there, um, and I'll be really interested to see how they come off firing off, firing off the ball in, in week zero. So with Norelli being out because of the the drug test situation, who's who's slotted to fit in there? Because we it came out this week that it sounds like Corcoran's going to be kind of trained at, at giving a shot at all five positions in a way. Um, so you've got and Hicks, he's a, he's my wild card spot. Is, Hickson is and Hickson and Corcoran for that center position. You know Corcoran missed a lot of the spring. He's coming back from injury. Hickson's been in there, um, but what about that? that guard spot for Norelli. You got a guy that you think could jump in and just take it and never let go? So I really think my left tackle is Prohaska. So they did say he's a 100% camp participant, which is great. Um, to me, that's saying that he got the medical sign-off and everything. I've got uh, let's or um, Prohaska, left tackle. I At, at center, I would go Hickson. Um, left guard, probably either Corcoran or Williams, and then flip that on the other side. I, I think, uh, you know, Corcoran and Williams will be your starters at guards. I, I don't know which one, but Latovsky will get some play time. Right tackle, I do think Ben Hart will steal that job, or, you know, keep that job, if you will. From what I've heard, he, the kid's firing off and seems to have, be revitalized in the Riola. One of you guys are going to have to help me here. The name's escaping me, but... Where do you think the uh, Oklahoma State transfer lands on that? Anthony line Hunter. Right? Yeah. Hunter Anthony. Hunter Anthony. See, I knew it. I couldn't help you. I'm sorry. I, I honestly thought he was going to be that right tackle. But um, from what it seems like under Raiola, uh, Ben Hart's revitalized and looks like a completely different player. Now, granted, that's that's offseason talk. Would love to see it because he's got the measurables of a NFL tackle. He's six foot nine. 
I think they're going to I I think we maybe end up seeing him slide in a little bit in between Corcoran, Ro Williams and 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 Anthony those two guard spots, those three guys and and ho- ideally we don't skip a beat. Um but the more competition, legitimate competition on that offensive line and the better it is for the for the rest of the team. Right. Yeah, I um Fitz, you go ahead with your next point. I, I've got one point, but mine's gonna. I kind of want to finish everything off. Well, we're, we've gotten a, a really good rundown here, and the the crazy part is, obviously, they're connecting because we're kind of seeing the same the same thing. So, I think for me, right now, is going to be who gets the production or the opportunity to produce as a, as a running back. Um, I, I, I will express my frustration over the last couple of years. The guy that gets 160 ground in air and gets two carries the following week that if Apple white can find a guy, two guys, three guys that are, that are producing, but they can do it both in the air, they can do it on the ground, and the defense doesn't know exactly what they're going to be seeing because of a certain package or a, a player that's on the field. For me, that's going to be, because there's some dudes in there, and they've got various capabilities that they bring that are huge for the team, and how that shakes out for me uh, is, is going to be good. Who's the, who's the starting running back taking the first, whenever it is, could be play seven because they're going to throw so much. Ramir Johnson. Ramir Johnson starting running back Northwestern. That's that's what I'm putting my money on. All right. I'm Mr. Gonna go, Zach. I'm going to go Grant. I've, I've been kind of on that guy's bandwagon all offseason. I think Pac-Man Grant's going to be the – that's your starter. The the other, other possibility here is for whatever reason we decide to just pound the rock against Northwestern and – enforce our will then in that case if you if you want to send a statement play one with the running game i think you're going yant yeah that's your hammer i mean that he's 235 if i'm not mistaken yeah um uh, that's that was the weight that he teached he's between two 220 and 235 somewhere in there yeah. and 240 um, pounds of that is muscle oh 100 <laughs> percent. just that he's got a freakish physique for that math checks right yeah absolutely. yeah no 100 percent yeah. Um, Drake, what what do you got for yours? Uh, I brought it up at the top of the, the top of the show. Um, I'm interested in the quarterback battle. Um, that I I don't think it's as much of a battle as we all want it to be. I think uh, again, been very vocal. I think Casey, it's Casey Thompson's job until he does something to lose it. Uh, I think. His experience in this situation for this staff means a ton to a guy like Mark Whipple. I Obviously, he loves Purdy. Uh, I know, Zach, you love Purdy as well. I just think the experience wins out. Um, his connection with Marcus Washington, if he ends up being a big part of the offense, gives him a leg up. And, you know, he's he's played in quite a few big games at Texas. I, I think it's Casey's job, but not because he's done anything to blow the staff away. He hasn't done anything to give give the ball over. He, I, I fall back, and that's kind of when you brought it up earlier in the show, the idea that his experience, I think, is going to is going to win out. Now, 
Purdy could be the the next, you know, Bryce Young for all we know. But he just he's coming off of injury, a couple different things. He doesn't have the experience. He's gotten a couple couple goes at when he was at Florida State. But Casey Thompson, who you look at last year, twelve games, the previous two seasons he had seven. So nineteen total games. It just in my mind, and I don't know if it's just the way he carries himself, um, different things like that. I had this feeling like he had been a you know three year starter and has thirty six games under his belt, but he doesn't. But what he is able to do, steps up in big games. Um, I think the consistency's there, and he brings he brings multiple elements to the to the offense that I don't think right now Purdy Purdy has, and the the physicality. Um, those sorts of things. Now, Zach, we know you are on the Purdy bandwagon. Do you think it's going to be a legitimate battle, or do you think it's already set? No, I I don't feel like you can have a uh, you can have a set quarterback at this point. I mean, you've seen so little of these guys with actual pads on that you could have a front runner, but the, I with as much that's riding on this year as there is. I feel like this staff would be doing themselves an incredible disservice to have an already picked hand anointed guy. Now we're all expecting Thompson to get more first team snaps right away, but that's because you haven't seen a ton of Purdy with, with being not healthy. Yeah. And I also think Fitz and I were talking about this off air. Uh, I, I think one thing that's really going to attract Whipple is the fact that when Thompson is scrambling out of trouble, his eyes are still downfield trying to make the broken play. Uh, whereas Purdy, with the limited game film that we've seen of him, plus the spring game, uh, he doesn't seem to have that skill set yet. He's, if he tucks the ball and starts moving, it's to go forward, kind of like we're used to seeing with Adrian. I think that element of Casey Thompson's game is what really gives him the biggest leg up. If it ends up being close, I will say I believe that Whipple – will get his guy. And that's different than we've seen under Frost's run because much you know, shorter leash under Whipple, I think. Yeah, shorter leash, but also if he feels like in what they're trying to do and the plays that and what, you know, the guys can do really well, he's going to take the, the the guy that he wants. Now, the the former the old coach that that did that who's now worked with those guys and was on the you know play calling and supposedly those sorts of things now just kind of sign on as a as an assistant down in Kansas but they were a lot of yes men and I think Whipple if if Joseph's seeing it you've got enough experience in that room to say or on that staff to say no this is you want to win this is what you've got to go to it may not be popular but this is what what you've got to do is that going to happen no I, I think Thompson it's his to lose right now, and that front runner is the. It's a it's a little bit of a negative con- connotation there, but I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, um, my, yeah, I, I I've given my thoughts on the quarterback battle. I think it'll be very close. I don't think it's going to be a blowout either way. Um, I'm just going to give you guys a thought, and then we'll just go. We're going to go to break. Uh, my point, or my my guess, my most important thing I'm looking at is how does the team sound coming out of. You know, because you're going to have to parse through the words. They're going to give you. They're going to give you some truth in there. You got to find what it is and what these coaches and coordinators are saying. Um, they're going to give you the the positive things. It's on you to figure out what's what's actually being said out there. 
because they're going to give you some truth in there. So um, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we are going to talk about some of the upcoming Heisman candidates for the season. You're listening to Church of the Corn on 1620 The Zone. Welcome back to the Church of the Corn here on 1620 The Zone, brought to you by FCC Trucking. Let's go ahead and talk about some guys we see on the Heisman list for this upcoming season. Um, You know, there's 50,000 that you can bet on out there, but I think everyone's kind of got their four to five favorites already. Um, I had a lot of trouble with this list. I, I don't know if you guys did, but I know I had I had some trouble with this. Drake, you start us off with who you got. Yeah, no, this list is tough uh, for a couple of reasons. One, there's so many talented guys out there, but there's a lot of talented guys on teams that I expect to take, take a step back, which makes it hard, really hard to win the Heisman. Uh, so we did a list of four. My third and fourth guys are both long shot dark horses, um, in my opinion. And I'm going to start with number four, Braylon Allen at Wisconsin. I, you know, he's got to be an early favorite for running back to win that Heisman. A 14 year old has never won the Heisman before. I don't know if you know that or not. Allegedly. If it matters, he will turn 15 during the season. Oh, touche. Okay. I guess that has happened. Sorry. But yeah, uh, I, I think Braylon Allen's just going to build off of his season last year, and uh, his, I, I predict him to be a finalist if Wisconsin wins nine games. It's hard to, like Zach said, kind of whittling this list down a little bit because you've got the idea, the guys that are on the tops of everyone's lists and each maybe try to, to think outside that box a little bit. The hard thing is that since 2000, there have only been three non-quarterbacks to win the Heisman. One wide receiver and two running backs. And so I didn't want to just rain on your Braylon Allen pick right away because he's he's going to be in that conversation. Um, and I think he's going to have every opportunity to, to do that. Um, but Wisconsin has had guys that are probably better than him, and they didn't even get a sniff uh, the last few years. So as far as my information there kind of leading me to this with with quarterbacks uh, I think for me Caleb Williams is in the conversation uh, I'm going to work from le- least confidence up to to highest there for me but new quarterback USC um, kind of new in a way with the coach you know not really so I think if if they can if the offense gets going like Lincoln Riley's teams are capable and he's very productive. Um, schedule schedule allows for it. I think Caleb Caleb Williams is could be right in there. I'm gonna go. I don't think this one's off the radar, but I'm gonna go with uh, Travion Henderson, running back, Ohio State. I think he's gonna touch the ball. I don't think it'll be enough to get him to the um, number one spot, but I think he'll touch the ball similar to the way he did last year and break the 15 touchdowns he put up last year. Drake. Who you got uh, next? Number three, again, I think this guy's a dark horse. Uh, out of my list, this is the guy I would hope to win it. Sam Hartman, quarterback Wake Forest. Last year threw for 4,228 yards, 39 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, and had a QBR of 79.7. Just a kid that, that I pull for. Uh, saw him on the Netflix series, uh, QB1. Uh, always had respect for the kid. And I, I hope he goes out and has another good year. Zach, 
I'm going to let you tell your number three because it's the same as mine, and we can talk about it together. Uh, Bryce Young, quarterback at Alabama. Um, I feel like this could be your favorite for the year, but I went a different way there. Um, extremely talented kid. Uh, they've got a lot to replace, but it's Alabama. I don't have to say any more than that. Yeah, the guys that he's that he's throwing to gives him an advantage. Uh, a strong run game that gives him an advantage. Uh, a strong offensive line that gives him an advantage. Oh, yeah, and he's a really good quarterback. So um, I think the the stats that he's going to be able to put up as well, um, I think even more so than a quarterback that's probably going to come on all of our lists here coming up, uh, but his ability to to run and make some things happen might might give him that that uh, that leg up. But he'll be he'll be in New York at the at the ceremony for sure. Yeah, uh, my number two, Caleb Williams, quarterback at USC. I, I I actually would make him my favorite. Pac-12 does not put a put an emphasis on defense, and if they have a couple of decent wide receivers, he he could just have a monster year. And if his numbers are good enough, I don't think there's a way that you keep him out. Yeah, uh, he he's he's a tough one. I. I did leave him off my list. I think he may struggle a little bit this year with being at USC for the first year. It I could see him blowing it out of the water, though, too. Um, my number two, I went off the radar, and this actually is, I think, the number one player in the country. I went Will Anderson, the defensive end slash edge rusher from Alabama. I think he's going to replicate what he did last year. Uh, I think he's the number one player in the country, and I think he should be the number one pick when he comes out this upcoming season. Uh, my number two is a uh, wide receiver from Ohio State. Um, I think he's under the radar. A lot of people haven't. No, I can't even do that. Uh, Jackson Smith Najigba. Um, he just he's he's talented beyond belief. Now the problem for me going through this is if he has a really really good year, like just breakout breaks records, which he's already done as you know last year. Somebody's getting him the ball, so who? Where do those votes? Where do those votes go? Um, but I just if if it's something where he's catching shorter passes and then just doing it and taking them seventy yards and and he gets those types of plays, and it's what he does with the ball, it's going to stand out a little bit more for him. But you know he still has to catch it. So if he sets some receiving records, he gets most catches. Uh, he's gonna he's gonna be right in there. Uh, my number one, you guys have already talked about Bryce Young, Alabama. Um, you know, the true underdog story of the five star who got a full red scholarship to Alabama and then won the Heisman uh, as an underdog. You know, if I know we're, we're going to be stretched on time here, but we might have to talk off air. That could be a good Disney Plus story right oh, there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, you bring yourself up from, from that and take Alabama with the potential to win a national championship, that's something right there. Yeah, I'm. they're going to do an E60 on it. And, I mean, a 30 for 30, you could just see it. What if I told you that a five-star going to Alabama had the tools and the teammates to win when nobody thought they could? I'm telling you, it's there. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, it sounds like a Lifetime movie. Hallmark? Ooh, great Christmas movie. little love story yeah. in there. Him and Saban. Zach is walking over right now.
about ready to take our mics from us. Zach, who's your uh, number one? Uh, C.J. Stroud. He's he's going to put up some crazy numbers this year. Uh, I think Gary uh, Sharp is correct with Ohio State being the favorite to win the national title this year. So that's what I got. Same Z's, C.J. Stroud. I just he's he's talented. The offense, uh, best offense, and they're better this year than they than they were last year. Um, and so, yeah, C.J. Stroud, Heisman winner, rolls it into the number one pick potentially. Not a bad deal. Beautiful. I can't wait till we're all wrong when this season kicks off. Uh, when we return to the Church of the Corn here, we will break down the most impactful coaching additions on the Nebraska staff this offseason. It's Church of the Corn with Zach, Alex, and Fitz on 1620 The Zone. Welcome back to the Church of the Corn, brought to you by FCC Trucking on 1620 The Zone. Boys, let's go ahead and break down this coaching offseason, some of the additions to the staff. Um, I'm sure we've all got different, you know, metrics for why we've got these guys in the order that we do and different things like that. So um, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and start off. I'm, I, I did kind of cheat on my, my first one. Um, I went with Bill Bush being elevated from a um, – I think he was a defensive analyst to the special teams coach. I feel like it's a it's going to pay huge dividends, but I don't think it's the most impactful hire this off season. But um, I do have Bill Bush at number four on my list. Uh, Drake, who do you, who do you got? Uh, I went with Coach Raiola on the offensive line. Um, there's no sugarcoating how bad that offensive line has been for the last few years. Uh, you could even argue for the better half of a decade. And everything I'm hearing is just his mentality. His energy is rubbing off on that offensive line, and they look vastly improved. So I, I have got a question for you since you've got Raiola, and I think most of most of everyone's going to have him on their list in some form or fashion. Um, with with Raiola playing in the Big Ten at Wisconsin, do you think that gives him a little bit more? Um, expertise into coaching a Big Ten offensive line at Nebraska? Yes and no. Uh, obviously, he knows what it's like to play on the line in the Big Ten, and that's going to be huge. But he didn't play in this style of offense at Wisconsin, so the, it's going to be kind of – I can see it being semi-difficult for him in terms of creating that energy to get off the ball for the run game, but also – um, know that your quarterback's going to throw 30 times a game. But having played center and having to make the calls and re those adjustments and things like that, having him, especially knowing that we have to replace Jurgens and that's undecided at this point in time, I think that's perfect for whomever the center is. But I think there's going to be, we've heard it, that there's going to be a little bit more of a nastiness to it, um, The you know, firing off the ball. It's not a wait-and-see just kind of put up a wall type of offensive line. I yeah. think they're going to take it to them. And it sounds like everything that we're hearing sounds like they're going to be separated by position on that offensive line instead of just finding the five most talented guys and trying to make them fit. It, it's going to fit better than it has before. Yeah, give me a scheme that works, something that's been lacking, it seems like. Uh, Fitz, who, who are you starting off with? I'm going to cheat. I'm not saying all of them, a la Drake. That's the clause, right? We have a Drake clause in our contract that you can choose an entire. No, but I am going to take liberty here 
And I'm going to say Mike Dawson. Now, before you yell at me. You're not bringing up kickers, so I won't yell at you. But the fact that he is now coaching the outside linebackers is part of that. I kind of look at that as, uh, and I'm going to quantify that as a, a new hire there. Qualify that, excuse me. I love putting them as all in new, the same as room. a new hire because the language, the timing, what they're supposed to be doing, they're now working together. And, I mean, I, I think we have the ability now on certain things, like just thinking about, you know, a shift as they're waiting. You know, very static last year. There wasn't, you know, blitzes were, were disguised and things like that, but there wasn't lateral movement pre-snap. I could see, you know, more of a, a Nelson, you know, twisting off the off of Robinson's hip and, and coming inside and doing things like that because of one coach. So I'm going to – that's where my liberty is right there. I'm going to take that as a new coaching hire just because of the room that he is that he has now. I like it. My number three is Mark Whipple, uh, QB coach, offense coordinator. Um, I think he's going to bring expertise to the room, something that Frost hasn't had since Chip Kelly with that mentor uh, being above him, being more knowledgeable than him, being able to teach him things. Uh, he has not been surrounded by – someone smarter than him in some time. So I feel like Whipple's going to make a huge um, jump for Coach Frost in this offense this year. Yeah, I I have Whipple on my list. I just have him a little bit higher. Uh, my number three is Coach Applewhite in the running backs room. A uh, couple of different reasons. One, I think that room already had a decent amount of talent, and then you add in a couple of guys like Emmett Johnson and um, Anthony Grant. It's a different mentality in that room. I think he's a little bit more technical, and I I also hope that you're not going to see the guy who had the big game in week zero go on a milk carton week one. I agree. I th- I think for me, Apple White is a – is I don't know. Not, I don't know, in the third or fourth, I think. But I just think he's a big hire. His, his experience, uh, mentioned it before, uh, what he did uh, – going back to Wyoming, what he did with, with TCU, um, individual ac- accolades for those runners, uh, team records with running, conference leading, running back, stuff like that. But he has a – his mentality is I want four guys that other than the number, you're not going to know that there's a change on the field. These, these guys can get it and they can go – um, the the details, uh, the the focus that that I think he brings, and again, it's just it comes back to it, uh, and you're gonna, the the theme of all of this is just a lot of experience from these new coaches. Yeah, um, yeah, I got Applewhite as as my next one. Um, I won't hammer any more points on him. Just mainly the guys that we've talked to on the podcast uh, about working with Coach Applewhite have had nothing but glaring but glaringly good things to say about him. Um, he, he's a he's a technician and he's mining the best from these players. So, um, yeah, Applewhite's my number two. Uh, my, I'm just gonna throw them both out here. I have one A, one B, uh, in Mickey and Whipple. Uh, they're the two most important hires on offense, which makes them the two most important hires for the team. I think this offseason. Mickey's recruiting and what he's able to develop in the wide receiver room is huge, and I think. Honestly, I would have whatever offensive coordinator that we hired here. I think just taking a little bit off of the head coach's plate 
um, whether it's by force, by design, whatever it is, and letting him be the CEO and that offensive coordinator taking full control is, is going to be huge. Uh, I love the fact that we got Whipple. Uh, I think that is going to make the big difference in both play calling down the stretch and just scheming per opponent. Drake opened the door for me when he said new hires, so I'm going to take advantage of it. And I think for the for the team and, and the, the program, important is Vince Ginta, uh, the senior director of player personnel and recruiting. In the world of the transfer portal right now, um, high school recruiting is still huge, but you've now got to find guys that can come in and be ready now and replace. Uh, develop, but then replace and then continue to develop NIL, things like that. So I think uh, his experience, 20 years in the in the business, uh, he's worked Oregon State, Wisconsin, Baylor. I think he's going to kind of that cohesiveness and what the what things need to do, just so professional down there. I think that's huge for the team. Yeah, uh, great pick, by the way. I, I didn't even think about that. But, yeah, I think that's a that's a heck of a addition that that's very underrated. But most people aren't looking at I went with Mickey as well, number one. Um, just the attitude he's brought to the team. The recruiting has, has skyrocketed, but with him and Bush, I mean, that that's kind of expected. Um, I'll, I'm just really interested to see what that wide receiver room looks like. I think it's you could have a complete flip within two years of guys from when he started, essentially this offseason, to maybe a year down the road. That room is going to look completely different than, than where – it was when he got here. Um, and, and that's the craziest thing is it's not been, it's been very talented dudes in there just hasn't fitted the scheme and what coach Joseph wants. And um, it's, it's going to be a, a 10 deep room. I feel like any dudes that you can just switch in and out and not miss production. Yeah, gonna, I think you're going to have multiple receivers that catch 15 to 20 balls instead of one guy who catches 70. And I think the importance of that higher Obviously a Husker legend. Um, the stability that he brings to that room and the professionalism, again, we keep throwing that word around in his experience. But I think at the moment where this, where the program was, the state of the program, that really does mean he is, I think he is the most important hire because he has brought um, a um, kind of a calmness in a way. and But his ability to go, down to the south and get these guys, um, his personality, the ability to be a coach and, and be tough, but then provide the love that comes with it of a, of a parent. Uh, I think the trust that these players are, are, are putting in him and the families, I, I think there's something there that, but his presence for the entire program is far greater than just that room. Beautiful. Love it, boys. Well, when we return, let's go ahead and pass out the collection plate and help these folks make some money. Now back to Church of the Corn on 1620 The Zone. Welcome back to the Church of the Corn on 1620 The Zone. It's the collection plate, so let's try and make some folks some money today. Um, I know Fitz wants to go last, so I'll let you go last. Start us off, Zach. I will start you guys off today. Uh, I am going to go UFC Again, um, I will start off with, let's go Omaha's own Anthony Smith uh, over, I'm not even going to say the name. So, 
Uh, Smith is a 350 dog, so I'm going to pick him in an upset. Um, I will go Brandon Moreno in the co-main event. I'm going to go decision. And I will say I'm going to go Juliana Pena in another upset over Amanda Nunez in the main event. I'm going to go by I'll go by submission. Drake. Okay. Well, you go ahead. Uh, I'm going with UFC as well. Uh, I'm taking Anthony Smith as the underdog. I'm actually getting him at plus 435, so we're on a different site. Woo. Uh, and I'm going to parlay him with an undercard by the name of Blood Diamond. Good movie. Yeah, great movie. Uh, so naturally, Blood Diamond's going to win. Uh, and then I'm going to take another Omaha native, Drew Dober, at minus 175. And then Amanda Nunez at minus 300. Bring in my total for the four-way parlay to plus 2,949. That, that's, that's a good payoff. Like take that. my money, Vegas. <laughs> Fitz, I guess, uh, what did you come up with this week? Well... A lot of feedback. Uh, the elders weren't happy with the picks I made last week, so I did go back, talked with my uh, guy, Apostle Luke. He put me in touch with his guy, uh, going back a uh, long-time relationship, and the only thing I knew about him is his name was the Hebrew. So hopefully it's a, it's a good thing. But I'm going to switch it up, and I'm going with the Premier Lacrosse League, but I'm going to give a parlay. So it's all staying right here. So I'm going to take Chaos at uh, plus 1.5 over the Redwoods. Uh, with the overs of 23.5 goals and take the over of 1.5 total on two-point goals. So Premier Lacrosse League, put them in, take that parlay, and take it to the bank, and then you can do your offering and tithes next week. I, I, I am so confused. Where are you getting your betting lines at? Because I've got something completely different. Have you ever heard of uh, Google? Uh, yeah, I just I'm I'm on a different website than you are. Apparently. No, you just bet, you you missed it. Though. I'm, I got my betting lines from the Hebrew. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So I, I I it's I don't know where he's getting his information. We're gonna find out if it's good or not. But he's he could be the guy. The Church of the Corn, the I, Hebrew. I wonder if he can uh, help us out with Nebraska odds this year. You think so? Maybe good on a good way at least, right? Should we take the over on? Uh, Seven and a half wins or the under? Over all day. So I, I'm taking That's the over as well. I'm, bet, I'm betting the church. We're putting you know, the whole church on the line. Unsportsmanlike conduct brought it up earlier this week, and I thought it was an interesting conversation. If you could bet Nebraska going 4 0, what would you, what would the line have to, what would your odds have to be? Oh, Nebraska to go 4 0, huh? Uh, if you give me that at, it'd have to be what plus three hundred. I, I I'll, I'd say plus. You give me that at plus three hundred, I'll take it. Fitz, I agree. Plus three hundred. You know, I I think I need plus five. Plus, I need plus five. Are you not that confident? Come on. I I think we get the over. Uh, I'm. I'm still a little worried about Oklahoma because that'll be their first big game together. But, but you said going 4-0, right? Yeah. When's the Oklahoma game, isn't it? Four. Okay. For some reason, I thought it was game five, so that's why I was like, yeah, no, let's that, inflate that. Let's that, get that number. I take it, whatever, but I don't know. Yeah, Oklahoma's game four. So so it's going to be great going 4-0, uh, though. Absolutely. Vegas can definitely take my money on that one. 
I, yeah. I'll, I'll glad I, that'd be the happiest money I'd ever make. Well, let's tie it up, boys. Um, for Zach Drake Fitz, uh, don't forget to check out the podcast this week. We're just going to do a breakdown of a couple more teams. Um, we are not having guests this week. So uh, thanks for joining us, everybody, for the Church of the Corner on 1620. Have a good weekend, everyone.